please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Here's what's ahead on this week's Investing Insights. Some retail stocks are on sale this holiday season. Morningstar Research Services Chief U.S. Market Strategist Dave Sequeira will reveal a list of stock picks. Plus, despite big losses, many mutual funds will still make capital gains distributions. Morningstar Inc.'s Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, shares three ways you can manage the payouts. And Tesla has rolled out its new big rig. We'll tell you what the EV makers, Semi, and upcoming Cybertruck will have in common. This is Investing Insights. Welcome to Investing Insights. I'm your host, Ivana Hampton. And let's get started with a look at the Morningstar headlines. Electric vehicle maker Tesla began delivering its new semi-trucks earlier this month. And Morningstar expects Tesla to increase the numbers over the next few years to around 50,000 big rigs per year. We think there will be a strong demand for the semi-trucks because the cost savings from electricity versus diesel will more than offset the higher upfront costs. And the heavy trucks will be limited to short hauls initially because there are so few charging stations. Trucks will need to return to the garage to charge. And Tesla plans to build heavy truck charging stations with its new V4 supercharging technology. Tesla says the faster technology will also be used for its consumer model, the Cybertruck. The company plans to release it next year, and the new superchargers will likely allow faster charging times for all Tesla models in the future. We estimate Tesla's stock is worth $250 and believe it's undervalued. Kroger rang up solid third quarter earnings despite high inflation that had consumers coping with rising costs at every turn. And that same inflation drove Kroger's results, but they were also aided by cost vigilance and rising private label sales. Kroger's own brand portfolio should remain strong as consumers shift away from name brands. And the uptick in sales of those private label items should boost profits and in turn help to offset rising labor costs. Morningstar's long-term forecast still includes slight revenue growth and adjusted operating margins on average over the next decade. We don't expect to change our $49.50 estimate of what we think Kroger's stock is worth, and we recommend investors hold off on buying. Ulta Beauty continued its hot streak in the third quarter. The beauty retailer's results soared past Morningstar's sales and profit expectations. Despite concerns that consumer spending is slowing because of inflation, the company says the holiday season is off to a good start. And it sees no evidence of shoppers trading down to less expensive products. Ulta's quarterly same-store sales growth was strong, and all its categories seem to be performing well. Meanwhile, we do think Ulta has received some benefit from an unusually high number of strong brand additions this year. We anticipate beauty demand will moderate, and we expect to slightly raise our $339 estimate of what we think the stock is worth. At the same time, we view its shares as overvalued. Many people are likely gathering to celebrate this holiday season for the first time in a long time. However, the current economic environment could dampen gift giving. Some shoppers might spend less while others will seek more things on sale. And many retail stocks that were expensive last year are on sale this year. Morningstar Research Services Chief U.S. Market Strategist Dave Sequeira has more on the holiday outlook. 
Dave, total Modify retail sales growth was in double digits last year. Can you describe what Modify retail sales growth is and what's Morningstar's outlook for this year? Of course. So total modified retail sales is essentially our proxy trying to gauge what we think holiday sales are going to be in the fourth quarter of this year. So essentially we take all retail sales as reported by the government and then we strip out a couple of different categories such as you know, automobile sales, fuel sales, food sales, and so forth, and really try and just concentrate on those type of goods that would be sold like at shopping malls, for example. So this year we're really looking for what I would consider to be relatively sluggish growth only an increase of 3.2% this year, so well below the 14% that we saw last year. And there's really two main assumptions that I would say kind of behind that assumption. So first, you know, as we've talked about a couple of other times this year, just kind of that normalization of consumer behavior. So as the pandemic, you know, gets further and further in the rearview mirror, you know, people are going out a lot more and we're seeing that shift in spending. So during the pandemic, you know, people were either unwilling or unable to go out. And so therefore a lot of spending shifted out of services and into goods. So we've been seeing that normalize, that spending going back into services. So I think that's a headwind for, you know, gift giving this year. More people will be traveling, you know, holiday travel and so forth. You know, the other part is going to be inflation. So again, you know, inflation's running still over, you know, 7%. And so as people have to spend more of their money and more of their household paycheck, you know, on non-discretionary items, that just leaves less money overall to be able to spend on gifts this year. So let's talk about online shopping. So some big e-commerce names have seen their stock prices drop this year. Where should investors look for opportunities? Well, we expect e-commerce sales this year to do okay, still less than what it was last year, but an 8.5% increase this year. Now, as far as like a lot of the e-commerce names, you can't talk e-commerce, of course, without talking about Amazon. And Amazon has had a lot of negative sentiment in the market thus far this year. And we think investors are kind of over-extrapolating you know, some of that negative sentiment. So when you think about Amazon, they had just skyrocketed the amount of growth they had for the two years during the pandemic. And at this point, that growth has really been slowing down. And I think people are over-extrapolating you know, that slow year-over-year -year growth this year too far into the future. And I think some people are also missing some of the other key characteristics that we look at in the valuation of that company. So one, their AWS, Amazon Web Services, you know, that's still growing you know, very quickly at this point in time, although also at a slightly slower growth rate. And then their advertising business, which we see as a very valuable part of their business. So when we look at Amazon, you know, Amazon is a wide moat rated stock, trades at four stars, and trades at about a 40% discount to what we think the intrinsic value of that company is worth. How does the brick and mortar retailer story from last year compare to this year? So with the brick and mortar story this year, you know, and thinking about, you know, kind of that consumer behavior normalization, you know, we are looking for more consumers to return to in-store shopping. You know, that is a big part of the holiday experience, you know, going back out to the stores. And so who's going to benefit from that? Well, we're looking at some of the mall REITs. So specifically looking at Mace Rich and Simon Property Group. We do think that both of those, you know, are undervalued. Uh, the one that would be probably our you know, more undervalued pick there would be Maserich. You know, it's a, uh, a no-moat-rated stock, but it trades at under half of what we think the company is worth. So if we are walking around the mall and we see some names on some stores, where should investors look? Well, we think that a lot of the retailers have really, their stocks just gotten pushed down, you know, too far, you know, too fast thus far this year. But a little bit of the backstory before we get into a couple of picks there is I think that the holiday season this year from the retailer's point of view 
especially for like the clothing retailers, is kind of shaping up to be the opposite of what we saw last year. So if you remember last year, inventory levels were really pretty low across most of the retailers. And again, there was some shipping bottlenecks, which kept things from getting delivered in time to be able to make it to the store shelves for the holiday season. So the retailers, because there was less inventory for people to choose from, were actually able to sell a lot of their merchandise you know, at full value, which of course also helped boost their margins. Well, this year what's happened is, you know, a lot of those bottlenecks have eased, so they've gotten that inventory in, and in some cases probably have overordered, you know, more inventory than what they necessarily need this holiday season. So we're expecting to see a lot of discounting this year, a lot of sales, which of course will be good for consumers, but will certainly, you know, impair, you know, near-term margins for a lot of these retailers. Now, like two of them, I don't necessarily expect really great holiday sales this year, but again, when I look at where that stock is trading and thinking about the value of those companies over a longer time period, you know, thinking about next year and the year thereafter when inventory levels normalize, margins go back to more normalized levels because they'll be able to manage you know, their sales better. You know, two that I would hi highlight here are uh, Nordstrom and Gap. So Nordstrom, uh, we do rate that one with a narrow economic moat. It's a five-star rated stock. Uh, it also trades at less than half of what we think the intrinsic value of that company is worth. And then Gap is another interesting name. You know, it trades at over a 40% discount to our fair value, and that's a four-star rated stock. Toys fill a lot of those shopping carts. What are your stock ideas there? Toys this year has actually been, I think, a difficult sector for a lot of analysts to get their arms wrapped around. And it goes back to some of those issues with the shipping bottlenecks that we've had in the past. So again, the toy manufacturers have to make sure that they had you know, their inventory ready for the holiday season. So I think that they oftentimes ordered, you know, especially early you know, this holiday season. So a lot of the inventory they typically get in the third quarter actually came in in the second quarter. So that's thrown off you know, some of the financial metrics that people look at. Now, having said that, we do think both Hasbro and Mattel are undervalued, and our pick there is going to be Hasbro. Part of the story there is that we do expect over time to see more mixed shift. And what I mean by that is you know, seeing an increase in the percentage of their sales in their digital toys and products, which have higher margins. And so over time, we're looking for margin growth there. You know, Hasbro is a five-star rated stock. You know, we rate that company with a narrow economic moat. Uh, that one trades at almost half of what we think the company is worth. So in-person celebrations are making a comeback. Where should investors look? Well, you know, the alcoholic beverage industry is an interesting one. Now, that's not typically a sector that people look at when they're thinking about, you know, holiday sales and thinking about, you know, investing in stocks that could leverage off of, you know, good holidays. But what happened during the pandemic is that Consumption of alcohol stayed relatively stable, but that consumption changed. So it went from what's called you know, on-premise, you know, being at sporting events or bars and taverns, you know, to at home. And when that shift occurred, a lot of times people were buying you know, lower price point, you know, lower branded items which have lower margins. Now, as people are going back out again, we're going to see you know, more in-person celebrations, more office parties, more people going back out to restaurants. As that consumption shifts back to on-premise, we also expect to see a shift and higher margins as people, when they're in public, you know, trend to get you know, those higher branded and premium products. So our pick there is going to be Anheuser-Busch InBev. Uh, that is a wide moat rated stock. That one is uh, rated five stars and it trades at about about two-thirds of what we think that company is worth, so a 33% discount to its intrinsic value. Thanks, Dave, for your stock pick ideas. All right, well, thank you, Ivana, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Mutual fund investors could face a tax bill, despite the market's downturn this year. Capital gain season is here, 
and there are ways to manage the payouts. Here's Morningstar, Inc.'s Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, and Morningstar, Inc.'s Director of Content, Susan Jabinski, with three tips. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski for Morningstar. Although most stock and bond funds have lost money in 2022, many funds are still expecting to pay out capital gains to their fund holders this year. Joining me to discuss this odd disconnect and how investors can manage those distributions is Christine Benz. Christine is Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning. Christine, good to see you today. Hi, Susan. Good to see you. So um, let's talk about this. It's been a losing year for most funds. So why are they making capital gains distributions? It's incredibly frustrating. So fund holders don't necessarily have the cash on hand to pay the tax bill, and yet they're getting socked with these distributions. The key reason is that we have continued to see this exodus of investors from actively managed funds. That's They've been the, born the brunt of these redemptions. So shareholders are leaving. Managers are having to sell things in many cases to raise cash to pay off departing shareholders. That selling triggers capital gains realization in those dis, those Capital gains need to be distributed to shareholders of record at the end of the year. And so that's what we're seeing. Funds are making their distribution estimates available, but it's mainly that vicious cycle that we've seen where investors are going into passively managed funds in part because of better tax efficiency, Mm -hmm. and they're forcing even worse tax efficiency at actively managed products. So can you generalize a little bit about maybe where we're seeing some of the larger distributions this year? In general, it's U.S. equity funds, although we have seen some distributions in international equity as well. Um, Large growth funds have been seeing fairly significant outflows in part because that category has performed fairly poorly this Mm -hmm. year after a long-running series of very strong uh, market environments. And so U.S. equity and especially growth-oriented equity appears to be bearing the brunt of the redemptions. And in turn, these funds are paying out these big capital gains distributions. So now let's say, you know, I own a fund that has, you know, signaled that it's going to make a sizable capital gains payout to me. Let's talk about some of the options that I have. The first is to sell that fund preemptively. And what should investors keep in mind if they do that? Yeah, the the value of selling preemptively is, is that you could dodge this impending distribution. The key thing to keep your eye on, though, is to remember that you pay ta- taxes on mutual funds in one of two ways. One, if it makes one of these distributions, either an income distribution or, in this case, a capital gains distribution. And the other tax bill could arise if you sell your mm-hmm. own position. So remember that you could dodge this distribution, but if the position has appreciated since you purchased it, you will still owe taxes on that gain. So bear that in mind. Check your cost basis relative to uh, the current share price. I I suppose kind of a good news story in this scenario is that thanks to the combination of declining markets, as well as the fact that many of these funds that are making distributions this year have been sort of serial distributors. Mm -hmm. This isn't the first year Mm -hmm. they've made a series of these distributions. You, If you've been reinvesting those distributions, you're able to increase your cost basis by the amount 
amount of that distribution. So you've effectively prepaid your tax bill in previous years. Mm -hmm. You may find that the disconnect between the current share price and your cost basis in the security and the fund is not that great. But do your homework on your cost basis and the, and the tax bill and whatever other implications there will be for your total tax picture. And by the way, I should have mentioned, Susan, you would want to not like this position or you'd want mm -hmm. to, to feel like it couldn't be easily replicated with something else. So, Christine, some people who might be thinking about selling this particular fund because they want to dodge the capital gains distribution might then be interested in repurchasing something else that's somewhat close to that. What are the tax rules around that? And then secondly, how could someone in that situation perhaps choose an investment that's a little bit more tax efficient so they don't end up in the same situation a few years down the road, perhaps? Really good question. So the first question is, um, if you are wanting to supplant that holding that you've just sold with something else that provides similar market exposure, you need to be aware of what's called the wash sale rule, which means that if you purchase something that the IRS considers substantially identical to the thing that you've just sold and you do that within 30 days of the sale, you essentially disallow the tax loss. So be careful of that substantially identical wash sale rule. That means that if you're swapping out of an index fund and into an exchange traded fund that tracks the same market benchmark, probably not a great idea from the standpoint of the wash sale rule. On the other hand, if you're leaving an active fund, getting into a passive managed product, that's okay. So just keep that in mind. And then in terms of how to make that portfolio more tax efficient mm -hmm. on a forward-looking basis, passive products on the equity side, broad market tracking passive products look really good from the standpoint of tax efficiency. So that might be traditional index funds. It might be exchange-traded funds. For higher income investors who are in a higher tax bracket and they want to hold fixed income securities in their portfolio, municipal bonds will be a good bet. So let's talk a little bit about, okay, so that covers people who want to sell in advance of the distribution. The second route that an investor could take is to just hang on and reinvest that distribution. Who is this a good situation for? It's a good situation for the person who likes the holding, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a holding in your account, even if it's not tax efficient, uh, it probably makes sense to hang on, reinvest the, the distribution and not sweat it so much. And remember, you are getting credit for these distributions, even though you're having to pay taxes in the current year in which you re receive the distribution. If you're reinvesting back into the fund, you're, you're increasing your cost basis, that reduces the taxes that will eventually be, be due down the line. So it's not ideal to have a holding that's consistently kicking off a lot of capital gains. But if you like the position, it's probably the best bet to uh, let that fundamental decision making rather than tax factors, tax implications uh, drive the car here. And then lastly, there seems to be an option that sort of, I don't know, splits the difference almost right. in that, you know, we've, we've covered selling, we've covered hanging on and reinvesting, but there's the third option of hanging on but not reinvesting the distribution. How might that work for someone and who's that a good idea for? Right. Many of us, when we open up a mutual fund account, kind of reflexively check that box saying mm -hmm. reinvest all my income and capital gains distributions. But there is that middle ground where you can say, just pay me the funds, pay me my capital gain, and then you can deploy the funds into some other holding. And I think this might be particularly appropriate for people who want to start gradually moving the funds into another 
position, that's an easy way to do so. The funds will get deposited usually into a brokerage sweep account mm -hmm. that's kind of living alongside your holdings, and then you can deploy into whatever else you want, maybe some more tax-efficient fund going forward. So that's a nice option for people who aren't quite sure and maybe aren't quite ready to make that break and pay the full tax bill that might be due upon their uh, sale of, of the security. Yeah. Well, Christine, thank you for your time today and for sharing these strategies. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Susan and Christine. I want all you guys out there to subscribe to Morningstar's YouTube channel. You can see new videos about investment picks, market news, and personal finance. Thanks to podcast producer Jake Vankerson, who puts this show together. And I'm thanking you for tuning in to Investing Insights. We appreciate your support every week. I'm your host, Ivana Hampton. I'm a senior multimedia editor here at Morningstar. Take care. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.